Cosby and ASX are looking down, which is not great. Your Hong Kong futures index is uh, looks to be heading in the same direction. And looks like Bitcoin and Ether are trading up right now. So there's a little bit of good news for the crypto fans. Uh, later on, we've got uh, back chat coming up with Janice Wong and Brian Wong. I also want to say thank you and Merry Christmas to our producer, Christy Lai, and the sound man, Song Wing Ming. Uh, my New Year's resolution is to get Money Talk more often on Christy's other show, the week on three, her roundup of the best of the week on RTHK, uh, English language, as often as I can get us on there. So you can catch that Saturday mornings at 8.30 and, of course, always on the online archives. We are back next week. Uh, Money Talk with Jim Ross closing out the years. Peter Lewis is still on holiday. Your weather today, fine and dry, cool in the morning, max temperature around 20 degrees, so a little bit warmer now. Uh, the temperature now is 15 degrees Celsius and 36% humidity. The time is now 8.30, and now the news with Tom Warden of the Elves, Santa Claus himself. Premier Lee Kachang says the central government fully recognizes the work Chief Executive John Lee has done since he took office six months ago. The two men sat down for a meeting on the second day of Mr. Lee's first duty visit to Beijing. The Premier said the SAR government has responded to the concerns of Hong Kong people and revived the local economy. He said Hong Kong's destiny was intertwined with that of the nation. I hope the SAR government will unite and lead Hong Kong people to more fully utilize the unique advantages of the Hong Kong SAR when integrating into the national development. In response, the chief executive thanked the premier for his support, saying he and his team have the same aspirations to develop the economy and improve people's livelihoods. An NGO that offers expressive arts therapy to improve people's mental well-being says demand for its services has surged this year amid the fifth wave of the pandemic. The Hong Kong Expressive Arts Therapy Service Center says the number of those seeking assistance increased by two to three times from May to July as people struggled to readjust to their daily life and work routines after the number of COVID infections peaked. The center says it had to recruit more therapists to cope with demand. Expressive Arts Therapy allows people to share their feelings in forms such as drawing, writing and music. Kanatang is the center's founder clients that we um, came across before uh, emotional disturbances would tell us that uh, it's very difficult for them to use verbal language to express their own emotions but uh, using uh, expressive arts they can choose whatever art form that is uh, can mo connect themselves mostly to express their own emotions a court in New York has agreed to release the founder of the failed cryptocurrency exchange FTX on payment of $250 million U.S. dollars bail. Sam Bankman-Fried will also have to stay at his parents' home as he awaits trial on fraud charges. The BBC's Samira Hossein reports from New York. In his first court appearance since being extradited to the U.S., Bankman-Fried agreed to surrender his passport in exchange for home detention in California with his parents. Prosecutors said that Sam Bankman-Fried perpetrated a fraud of epic proportions. He is accused of defrauding investors of billions of dollars. And all of this comes just a day after two of Bankman-Fried's colleagues have pleaded guilty to fraud and will now be cooperating with the investigation into the collapse of FTX. 
A former vice president of the European Parliament, who's at the center of a corruption scandal, has been told she must remain in custody for another month. A court in Brussels rejected a call by Eva Kiley to be released on bail. The BBC's Grant Ferret reports. Nearly two weeks after she was detained following police raids in which more than one and a half million dollars in cash was seized, Eva Kiley was hoping to be released. Lawyers for the Greek member of the European Parliament suggested she be freed with an electronic tracker to follow her movements. She denies accepting corrupt payments from Qatar in return for providing political support. The Gulf state also denies wrongdoing. Three others have been charged, including Miss Kylie's Italian partner. Nearly 4,000 flights have been cancelled across the United States over the next two days as a fierce winter storm sweeps through the country and parts of Canada. Forecasters are calling it a once-in-a-generation cold snap and say it could bring the coldest Christmas in decades, with temperatures in some areas dropping to minus 45 degrees Celsius. Jared Hill is a CBS reporter based in New York. This is what's being called a bomb cyclone. Temperatures could feel like minus 57 degrees Celsius in some parts of this country. So we are seeing uh, a lot of calls for warming shelters to be opened up in parts of the country because there are people who, whether they live outside uh, or they might potentially lose power in the midst of this storm with, again, incredible winds expected, those really low temperatures as well as the potential of, of power outages. And so there are a lot of steps that are being put in place right now to prepare for what could come. The U.S. Senate has approved a huge government spending program with strong bipartisan support. The bill is worth nearly 1.7 trillion U.S. dollars. It includes increased defense spending as well as another 45 billion dollars of support for Ukraine. The spending package needs the approval of the House of Representatives before midnight on Friday to avoid a shutdown of the U.S. federal government. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Brian Wong. On today's program, we're looking at people's propensity for saving. A new survey by the Hong Kong Deposit Protection Board has found that the average savings Hong Kongers put away each month reached a five-year high, with monthly savings up 17% to $7,700. According to the survey, the amount of money respondents feel they need to squirrel away to feel secure about their future also jumped 20% to $590,000 from a year ago. So why are people people saving more? Are people just being more responsible in fiscal planning or is there something else at play? After 9.15, we'll look at the flu situation here and its impact on our emergency wards. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Ho Lok Sang, Director of Pan Su Tong, Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. Andy Kwan, Director at ACE Center for Business and Economic Research, and Financial Advisor Eleanor Coleman. Good morning to you all, and thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, Mr. Kwan, according to the survey, the 
average savings Hong Kong has put away each month reached a five-year high. Um, what's your assessment? Why are people saving more? Is it to do with the economic downturn or uncertainties brought about by the pandemic? Uh, what is it? Well, it could be a combination of uh, uh, reasons. Uh, many reasons still feel like it could be economic uncertainties, uh, economic downturn. Uh, mainly, we are in a recession, and uh, the second recession in in three years. So, in this case, people really t- uh, think like uh, there are high uncertainties in the in the near future whether the recession will end soon or will it, uh, will a recession come back later on. Uh, people tend to save more uh, when they face rainy days. So, in this case, it's natural. Uh, the second thing is about the pandemic. Yeah, pandemic is really, um, uh, I think it's a main factor too, because like uh, people may ask, uh, when will the pandemic uh, disappear? Uh, it seems to be uh, here for, for forever. So in this case, I, I think due to this kind of like uh, reasons, people t- uh, save more. That is uh, a, a natural reason. But I want to point out that like it's very hard to... Uh, Disentangle the, the 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 reason in the sense that uh, which is the main reason we don't know. But uh, according to economic theory, people tend to save more uh, when they face rainy days. Uh, so it's natural, especially in the high degree of uncertainties here. But another thing is about the uh, the future of Hong Kong. Like uh, when you see people leaving Hong Kong, that tell you something. So I get I gather like people really not sure about the near future of Hong Kong, whether Hong Kong will, uh, will, uh, will come back in, in, uh, in, uh, will come back in, uh, in a good shape. So in this case, uh, I think we would take more, and uh, that's a natural behavior, but it's hard to pinpoint what is uh, what's the main reason. Along these two reasons, you have to look at the, um, the performance of the stock market, and uh, also you have to look at the, uh, the quarantine uh, measures, because we have a very stringent quantum measures in year 2000 this year. Now it's relaxing. So uh, I got uh, people really uh, frustrated when they go to uh, places that to show their, <laughs> like, that, 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 that thing, you know, to show you're, you're healthy. So you have the uh, so-called vaccine injection, uh, uh, take the vaccination. So okay. I, I got a uh, combination, and, uh, and uh, it's hard to tell. But whether people will save more next year, it's hard to tell because uh, more, most likely people will save less when the economy is getting better, uh, slightly better. Uh, but uh, whether trend will go on uh, keeping a very high saving rate, uh, that remains to be seen. All right. Uh, so, uh, Professor Ho, um, just now, um, Mr. Kwan here, he says it's a combination of factors. It's uh, to do with the pandemic, to do with the economic downturn and possibly confidence over the uh, future of Hong Kong. And um, I, I, what do you think, Professor Ho? And uh, I have a message here from our listener, Dan, and uh, he says uh, no travel, not going out. And that equals more money in the bank. Is it as simple as that or, or is there more to it? Well, all of those factors uh, are, of course, uh, quite valid. Uh, but apart from those, the fact that uh, asset prices have come down uh, quite a bit, uh, that really matters, you know, because uh, most people have some kind of target uh, uh, savings um, to prepare for the retirement. Supposing the target is that much, and if 
the asset prices have declined so that uh, uh, a um, uh, um, reassessment of the asset value shows that there is uh, it is short. So there's an uh, imperative, you know, to, to save more in order to recover uh, to that level. So uh, this is actually a very much uh, um, um, a, an accepted uh, uh, theory. Uh, the fact that uh, people pe- people need to uh, feel secure uh, only when they have met their um, expected uh, savings, um, so that they they are comfortable, you know, with uh, um, with, with retirement needs. Right. Let's go to uh, Ms. Coleman. You're a financial planner. What's your observation? I mean, are more people choosing to save their money instead of opting for more risky investment products? Um, good morning. Yes, thank you for having me morning. on. Um, I think they are all a little bit shell-shocked by the last three or four years. We had the riots, then we had COVID. And at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, a lot of people reduced their investments and reduced retirement planning because they were worried about their jobs, they were worried about the security of their families, and also they were worried about um, having an escape plan in case they needed to leave Hong Kong very quickly. And I think that's now changed and people are a little bit more secure in what's going on with COVID, but secure but slightly cautious as well. So I think people are saving a lot more because they need to feel safe, they need to be able to sleep at night, but they also need an escape plan. I mean, if you look at things like holidays, um, it's long gone of the times where you could jump on a plane to Bangkok for a relatively cheap weekend away. You now need to worry about what's going to change in terms of the flights, in terms of um, can you change your accommodation if everything goes wrong and someone gets COVID, but also budgeting for additional expenses on the way back, things like quarantine. And I think there are a lot of people who are saving because they're worried about their family who've lost work. Um, and um, the other thing that people have been doing is um, reassessing their priorities. I think because very few people are traveling, they are tending to sit at home and, uh, and the novelty of shopping online has, has definitely worn off. And people are now assessing their priorities and realizing that they, they want to save more uh, to feel a lot more secure. Thank you. And it does seem that there is a relative easing of quarantine measures and restrictions, at the very least on front of those returning to Hong Kong. There might be an amelioration to the cost that would uh, be incidentally incurred. But on a more general note, um, I was just wondering, Andy, uh, there's a factor concerning geopolitical risks, perhaps, and also uncertainty concerning the macro trends at large. It might also compound individuals' propensities to save. Do you see that as a significant factor, or is that only a factor for a limited number of individuals, e.g. those who are, do and are indeed concerned about macro politics at large, Andy? Well, um, the political uncertainty is really, um, I think it's a psychological factor too. And uh, when you look at uh, the current situation, the relationship between China and the US, and also the way Hong has been changing, and in terms of uh, the fundamental system. And uh, people tend to get scared in that respect because they just don't know how, mu- how, how much change can be made later on. And uh, so in this case, you can see that like uh, that's, uh, many people moving out from Hong Kong. Of course, uh, once the situation stabilized, I think 
people will start moving out. Uh, at least in terms of the trend, it's not that uh, that obvious. And uh, I think the main thing here is to try to uh, make people feel safe, safe in terms of uh, regarding the stability of their of Hong Kong. And uh, it's not mainly financial stability; it's how they can see uh, clear picture in the, in, in, in the future. Uh, right now, even like uh, many many uh, experts in Hong Kong already uh, very highly educated people, they 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 tend to, they choose to leave Hong Kong because or they prepare to leave Hong Kong because uh, due to the uncertainties, uh, mainly economic uncertainties and also political uncertainties. And uh, so in this case, uh, so that may explain uh, that may explain why we have a very uh, high rate of uh, savings. And uh, so it's all up to. Hong Kong government or the mainland government how to secure the the the, the, uh, the political stability of Hong Kong and also economic uh, future and uh, I think the main thing is just to put my effort to to show people they they really try to make Hong Kong to be the home to Hong Kong Hong Kong. Now, Professor Ho, I just want to uh, hear your thoughts on what Andy said just then. Do you, do you share Andy's views concerning the plethora of uncertainties uh, confronting Hong Kong, including the economic but also, I suppose, uh, looming uncertainty over other intangible aspects in Hong Kong? Or do you see that as uh, not necessarily an accurate characterization, so to speak, uh, Professor Ho? Well, um, I think uh, the world is changing so fast. There's two too much uncertainty there. Uh, so, so that factor uh, does count, definitely. But uh, in my view, the biggest factor is really this uh, um, downward spiral of, uh, of uh, prices and of assets. That's really important. You know, lo- lo- look at the performance of the, uh, the, the exchange fund, you know, the whole, the, the, uh, the investment, you know, by HKMA is not doing well at all, you know, and uh, the um, the uh, MPF account, you know, has come come down quite a, quite quite a bit. So uh, the the necessity to re- recuperate uh, these losses is really very significant, and um, uh, it's just a way of. Uh, Going back to normal, you know, in order to to go back to normal, you have to you you have to um, uh, um, uh, keep saving un- until you meet that standard, you know, mm-hmm. so so that you feel safe. So, Professor Ho, you're basically saying uh, it's uh, largely to do with uh, volatility in the mar- in the stock market, and uh, of course, uh, we know recently housing it- prices too, yes. housing prices too, and 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 the the. The, the amount uh, uh, outstanding in the in MPF account, all of the, all of those things matter. You right. know, because and of course, uh, recently, what cryptocurrencies have uh, taken a beating as well. And yeah. uh, so, so would you say? I mean, could be could could it be people are losing confidence in, in different kinds of investments? I mean, would you say their appetite for uh, risk is uh, declining? Well, not exactly. That uh, appetite for risk is declining. They. You know, some some people who gamble, they lose money, and yet they continue to to gamble, and then they they lose even more. You see, uh, that's n- not not the problem. 
but uh, the fact that uh, you have lost so much uh, and you know that if you if you uh, spend then you cannot save you see so they a lot of people continue to, to invest money in the stock market if they if they think that it's revived it's coming back and and then of course uh, in, the, in, the, in in the past uh, a few days you, you you've seen a significant um, come come back of the stock market you know from 14,000 something back to something like 20,000 points you know in uh, Hang Seng stock price index and um, so people are still hopeful and they will continue to invest um, in my view but they will be reluctant to really spend too much too but of course the fact that uh, the uh, the opportunities for, for for traveling is now open up again I can see that a lot of Hong Kong people are now traveling you know they they really love traveling and uh, uh, so um, that is a way of uh, recovering the mental health too you see that's that's very interesting and just want to bring in Eleanor here so in terms of uh, say portfolios of of uh, individuals at large um, and I don't suppose you'd be, be happy to dispense some advice here for uh, the, the average middle class individual in Hong Kong who's trying to position themselves financially but from your perspective Eleanor uh, would you say that this is a time to uh, increase one's exposure in terms of investments and equities and stocks or is this a time to double down on savings uh, from your own perspective in light of the circumstantial well, I'm always, shifts? I'm always willing to give my opinion uh, Brian so uh, uh, basically I agree with, with, with uh, the other two gentlemen said. So people have been seeing um, over the pandemic, they see markets go up and down, and they're very publicly shaming people like the, the, the FTX people who are, are currently being prosecuted. The cryptocurrencies have gone up and down with GameStop, with um, all the Robin Hood uh, investments that happened over the last three years. People have seen other people make money, but don't quite know how to do it. We did our own survey a while ago. And about 60% of people said that they didn't really understand some of the products that they bought from banks that they thought were guaranteed and they're now finding out that they aren't. And um, 73% of people said they didn't really understand what inflation was and how it would affect their savings. So I think a lot of people are sitting on money because they're getting a slightly better rate in the bank or a perceived slightly better rate in the bank because they're worried about what to do. Um, I mean, the, the best time to invest is always yesterday. Uh, it was 50, 50, yeah, 2020 hindsight, we can all say that we should have invested last year or we should have invested um, three, four years ago. But the best time to invest is always now because once the money's in the market, it has the potential to grow. I think there are a lot of people who are feeling a bit scared because they don't really understand the complexities of the market and are scared by the jargon because there are you know, a lot of financial words that do scare people and make people feel very, um, like, like they just don't understand what's going on with their own money, and that gives a lot of insecurity. But um, in terms of what we're advising our clients, is we're advising that because interest rates are still quite low on savings, um, for money that you don't need on a daily basis, investing it into the market while it's so low is a good idea. But investing it in general is always a great idea. But specifically, we've been talking to, finance, uh, to our clients about making very specific investments to make sure that the money is growing 
um, in, in areas that we think have the potential to recover quickly. And I think that's the, the value of the advice from a good financial advisor is to, to not only take those worries away, but also to tell you where to put your money and how to feel more confident and to feel like you're in a partnership so that you're not feeling quite as alone with your investments. Now, Andy, the Fed's looking to be quite hawkish when it comes to uh, raising interest rates over the next uh, nine months to possibly 12 months. Um, what is your prognosis concerning the Fed and how would that bear upon the, uh, the consumption and savings rates here in Hong Kong? Well, like, in terms of uh, the interest rate, interest rate hike um, by the Fed, uh, I think it will continue to increase uh, the Fed fund rate, uh, maybe one or two times. But although, like right now, the uh, inflation is still quite uh, still high in the, in the states, but it's coming down, and hopefully it will come down in year 2023. And uh, if people uh, expect the interest rate to be peaked in the future, and uh, I think people tend to think about like uh, later on uh, the Fed has to lower interest rate. But one thing we have to be aware, uh, the U.S. economy is not in good shape, and the people predict there's a recession coming in year 2023. So even when we have a much lower inflate, a much lower interest rate later on, but that would be at the expense of the economic health of the U.S. And the uh, U.S. is the, uh, the biggest economy in, in the world, and uh, once uh, the uh, U.S. economy uh, and there's a recession, this will affect everything. Okay, that uh, I'm a little concerned uh, regarding this situation. So it's really hard to see uh, whether uh, people will gain more confidence in year 2023. But I, I expect uh, we will because, like, uh, we, we have been uh, in a bad shape for a long time. And uh, even when the U.S. market, uh, when the U.S. economy goes to a recession, and uh, in terms of Hong Kong, uh, that would be a better situation because we have we face a lower interest rate, and hopefully the top, uh, the uh, stock market will stay uh, more or less uh, at the at the at the healthy level. And uh, but uh, in the short term, if uh, the recession, uh, the U.S. recession really appears, I think the market will face a little bit headwinds. But later on, uh, the market will stabilize because of the uh, lower interest rate. So people may tend to uh, save less, a little bit less, when, uh, when, uh, when the economy is getting better. And uh, even we go, uh, we, we heard over the, 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 stock, the, the U.S. market, uh, the U.S. Uh, recession. So I, I tend to believe like uh, this year is a is uh, very abnormal year. So it's a combination of factors which drive people to save more. Uh, I, I, I do agree with uh, Professor Ho. And uh, people lose a lot of money, and they have they they don't find any good ways to to, to, to invest. Therefore, they have to save more. In that in that case, they put more money in the bank, and uh, I think it's a safe way to protect their their money. Right. And right now, yes, you are saying that there is, people will uh, save more money. But uh, like uh, Professor Ho uh, said earlier, he believes uh, people will uh, continue to invest. And uh, historically, uh, many people invest by buying property. Mr. Kwan, do you see that continuing in the future now that the uh, property market is showing signs of uh, weakness? Uh, 
that's a million dollar question. <laughs> and uh, people, I do hope <laughs> the public price will go up. But uh, now, I put it this way. I think the key picture is like uh, the central government wants to have a lower public price. So I expect the uh, the, uh, the SAR government will not uh, take the, uh, we call it spicy measures. Uh, to 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 take that that uh, uh, demand management po- policies away soon. So uh, in this case, we still have to face uh, a lot of headwind in the property market. It really depends on how people perceive uh, the property. If uh, right now, if you look at the correction right now, is still like uh, uh, about less than twenty percent. Okay, when it comes down, we comes down to a healthy level. It could be another ten, twenty percent to go. So uh, I think the, it's very hard to predict the power price, but I'm a little bit pessimistic in this way. All right. And what about um, Professor Ho? What's your view on that? Do you think people will continue to uh, invest in a uh, invest well, by buying property? I think uh, uh, people are actually looking for opportunities to invest and uh, putting money aside for the time being, looking for opportunities. You see, because if you don't have money ready to invest and you see the opportunity uh, emerging, then you cannot take advantage of that. You see, so so people are putting uh, uh, aside some money in order to grab that opportunity when it, when it arises. I, I think that is the way. And it's uh, quite uh, rational. All right, uh, Professor Ho, uh, we'll have to uh, take a break uh, for the news very soon. So uh, we'll have to continue our discussion in three minutes' time. Mr. Kwan, thanks again for joining us this morning and I uh, hope you have a Merry Christmas. And that's uh, Andy Kwan, Director at ACE Centre for Business and Economic Research. And just a reminder that after 9.15, we'll uh, be speaking to epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling about the latest flu situation. If you have any comments or questions for our guests, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call at 233 and here's a quick look at the weather. It'll be fine and very dry. The uh, top temperature will be around 19 degrees. Winds moderate northeasterlies occasionally fresh. Right now it's 16 degrees, relative humidity 36%. of the Han Su Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University and financial advisor Eleanor Coleman. So, Eleanor, just wanted to pick up on where we, where we left off um, before news. So, essentially, some, some say that uh, the Chinese stock market, you know, despite the route and the difficulties it's experienced this year, that's the place to invest in for 2023. We're going to see a boom, we're going to see a rejuvenation. Uh, whereas others say that the structural headwinds in Chinese economy are still going strong, um, of course, with the recent surge in cases, amongst other factors. So, what do you make of this? Is 2023 the year to buy China and... Uh, you know, uh, to buy China, yes. <laughs> well, should, should we buy China? Should we invest in China? The answer is probably always going to be yes. Um, I think the Chinese market is going to have a very interesting year. Um, Beijing is bringing in medical experts from all over the world to deal with the fact that their, their COVID numbers are out of control. And I think, unlike the rest of the world, who are predominantly vaccinated and have mostly had covid already and have dealt with it, China is very far behind on that. So they're really having their first massive wave now. And as we've seen in Hong Kong, the first wave is not is not the only wave. So I think it's going to be a fairly bumpy time health-wise for, for China. However, 
the fact that they're opening the economy, the fact that they're opening the tourism is a really good sign that there's going to be a recovery. I just think it won't be an overnight thing um, because there, there are still some limiting factors because of COVID that are going to, going to continue to cause problems over the next year or so. But the fact that they're opening for business at all is, is really a, a, an amazing sign of, of future growth. And Professor Ho, would you agree with Eleanor's assessment or do you see there to be a savings glut and an increase in savings glut in the mainland in response to the, yeah, the uncertainty? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, when uh, the policies uh, are changing, you know, to encourage uh, people to have more confidence in the housing market and also in the various uh, uh, sectors which were actually very much beaten, you know, by, in my view... Uh, misguided policies in, in the past uh, uh, couple of years. Uh, it's a big change, and I think uh, um, the uh, uh, the jump in the stock market is not only due to this uh, relaxation of the pandemic measures, but also with uh, some of those uh, very significant policy measures that have been introduced. Uh, yeah, the, just in the, the Chinese market. policies are always so far-reaching and so far ahead. Um, the, 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 the markets can react very quickly to them. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what's happened in the last couple of, couple of months, is that they've reacted to all the changes that, in policy, but also the changes in, in, the, uh, the, the international outlook for China. Would you agree, Professor Ho? Uh, I think the international outlook is uh, still very uh, very much uncertain, uh, but... Uh, um, the, the policies at home is more uh, uh, is much clearer now. I think uh, the Chinese policymakers see that uh, uh, they have to change their ways, and I think that's uh, good. And the valuation has been very attractive all along, but uh, it's just because of those policy measures that have uh, dampened uh, market sentiments. And I think uh, the market sentiments can can come back very quickly. You know when. When, when the policy stands is much clearer. And I think that uh, it's really imperative, you know, for, 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 for China to, to learn from the, from, the, from the mistakes. It's really very significant, you know, because uh, if you look at it, uh, China is now facing fairly significant uh, um, uh, budget deficits. And a lot of that, of that, for example, has to do with this, uh, this uh, dampening of the housing market, you know, because uh, uh, the decline in the, in the land prices have hurt uh, regional, uh, provincial um, government <coughs> finances significantly, and they have to change their ways. Uh, so um, I have to have the hunch, you know, that uh, this uh, recent change is now uh, firming up, and I think we can expect more uh, aggressive measures, you know, to revive the market. Thank you. And just bring this back to Hong Kong um, for the second. Eleanor, do you see a age-based uh, differentiation in terms of um, different age groups having different savings rates in Hong Kong? Is it the case that the elderly and the middle-aged save more than the young, or, or is it the other way around? And uh, what does that say about the, the economic structures at large uh, in terms of distribution of consumption? Well, we've done a couple of surveys recently. One was about preparing for the golden years, which is you know, looking at retirement. One, one was talking to millennials. Um, I think 
in general, I've had quite a few younger clients come to me in the last few months and say, look, I'm in a position where I can save more. Um, I think the younger generations, and this is circulating upwards to the older generations, are more interested in ESG funds. They're more interested in where their money's going and investing for the greater good. But I also think that there is a massive potential problem with intergenerational wealth. So for, for families who, who don't talk about money at home, uh, and parents and grandparents who are getting elderly, I think there is a massive um, gap in how their multi-generational wealth is going to be transferred to the younger generations who have never dealt with money before. And that's where, where there could be problems. I think um, the older generations are worried about their retirement. I mean, the average retirement age in Hong Kong, if you take it at 65, people live to about 85, you're looking at 25 years where you need to be having something to spend. And I think there's a lot of people who are who are worried about that. Professor Ho, are you seeing a similar trend in distribution as Eleanor is, um, and shifting patterns amongst the youth in particular? Uh, yes. Uh. Okay, so so, uh, what does this suggest about um, perhaps the, the housing crisis? Are, are the youth saving more in response to the, the housing prices that remained high, or are they saving more because of the other long-term needs, such as planning for a sufficient nest when they retire? Uh, All right. Professor Ho, I'm... I, 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 hello, are you still there? Yes, yes, yes. yes. All right, yes. <laughs> Professor Ho. Yes, housing prices, ho- housing prices have come down uh, uh, quite a bit, and uh, uh, there are uh, good chances that the housing prices uh, uh, will will stabilize, in my view, um, because of a uh, uh, number of factors. Number, well, first of all, um, the fact that uh, uh, the uh, the cross border travel between the mainland and Hong Kong are going to be. Uh, I think it's around the corner, so. That also means that uh, more, more, you know, uh, this de- demand um, from you, you know th- th- this uh, is going to invigorate uh, business activities, and along with that, uh, 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 this coming back of talents. You, you know, the, the fact that Hong Kong is now trying very um, vigorously to. Uh, attract talents, and I think uh, that is one of the sources of demand, and also because the economy is going to stabilize, and I think that is also a very important factor, you know, for the, for, for the uh, market to, to stabilize. And in my view, um, interest rates in, uh, in America is not going to go through the roof, and I think uh, um, the, the next round of, uh, of increase is going to be Less than expected. Of course, it will come, but I think uh, it's not like in like, not like in the past. It's going to be more like ha- half a percentage point, or maybe even less. You know, because uh, uh, there there are some some concern about the uh, the third quarter growth rate in the United States, which appeared to be uh, stronger than expected early on. But uh, um, uh, the fact that uh, the headline. Inflation rate is coming down. I think that's a very uh, big relief 
people shouldn't be too concerned about uh, the, the the market. Uh, the economy not going to recession yet, and then uh, imagine that uh, because the economy is still relatively strong, then the uh, then the economy uh, then the, the Fed has to raise interest rates. That that's really not not appropriate. The fact is that. Um, what matters is, is, is for inflation, you know, to, to continue to soften. And I think that's the key. And we don't really want the economy to go into recession. A lot of people are expecting that. You need to go into recession before, eco- uh, before interest rates will stabilize. That shouldn't be the case. You know, the signals are that the, the prices are coming down. And already um, some key factors, especially in the tech, tech sector, uh, you can see that um, uh, um, major companies are now releasing a lot of the, the talents. You know, it's a, a very important thing. You know, because it's uh, it's uh, in my view the tech sector is a leading sector in in, in a sense that uh, if it comes down, it the possibilities are that other sectors may also soften as well. So. So I, I think interest rates in, in the United States is going to, to, to peak uh, um, earlier than is, is thought. All right. Professor Ho, let's go back uh, to investment for, for a moment. I mean, before the news, uh, Ms. Coleman, she talked about how, how many people, um, they are scared of uh, different uh, um, types of investments at the moment. Do you think it's right for them to uh, be uh, scared? Some people are scared all the time, you see, but uh, when, when people are scared, then there are opportunities, usually. And, and I think uh, for those people who have the confidence in their own analysis, and I think uh, when people are scared and you can see the opportunities, then you just grab it. And I think uh, um, um, this 2023 is a lot. It's going to be a lot better than to, uh, than uh, 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 this current year, and uh, I agree um, with uh, Professor Kwan that uh, uh, 2022 is a very peculiar year. So um, I think um, 2023 is going to be definitely better, in my view. Thank you. And just to wrap it all up, um, Eleanor, is now the time to buy the crypto dip? <laughs> um, probably not. I think that if you are nervous about investing, putting all your money in crypto, is absolutely appalling idea. Um, I mean, uh, Mr. I was just saying that uh, you know people need to be confident in their analysis. And if, if they don't know how to do an analysis, that's where people do get nervous, uh, because not everyone has the ability or the knowledge to do an analysis of what stocks they want to invest in. And that's really where a financial advisor comes in to help with that and to explain the process. But I think buying crypto, it's, it's not a bad idea with fun money. I mean, we were talking about gambling earlier. If you want to gamble, that's, that could be a good one to gamble on. But in terms of in long-term investments, places to put your retirement, absolutely not. All right, uh, Ms. Coleman, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Eleanor Coleman, a financial planner. Also, many thanks to uh, Ho Luck Sang, director of the Pan Su Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University. And I uh, hope you uh, both have a Merry Christmas.
You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. It's now 16 minutes past nine and it's time to move on to our next topic and it's about the latest flu situation here. Concerns have risen recently over a spike in the number of patients seeking help at emergency wards, many of them with flu symptoms. And some doctors are worried that the situation can get worse over the holidays. To comment on this, we are now joined on the line by University of Hong Kong epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling. Good morning, Professor Cowling. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Now, figures from the health department showed that uh, last week, around uh, 30 out of every 1,000 consultations at uh, private doctors involved patients with flu-like symptoms. And uh, a week before that, it was 29. What's your assessment of the current situation? Well, what it looks like is that we're heading into what's known as the winter surge in respiratory admissions, which happens pretty much every winter around the world in places that have winters, of course. Um, and it, so it, it, it's nothing really new. It hasn't happened so much during the COVID pandemic because of all the COVID measures. But now that some of those measures are relaxed, the viruses that circulate every winter, particularly coughs and colds, are circulating again. Not all of them, but some of them are. And as we relax more COVID measures, there'll be more circulation of those viruses and more of a surge. Right. And over the past week, um, we've seen uh, at emergency wards, uh, at public hospitals, um, they, they've started to get a bit crowded with uh, patients having to wait uh, many hours. Um, I'm looking at the latest hospital authority data from 7 a.m. this morning, and uh, the wait is uh, more than eight hours at Kwong Wa and United Christian Hospitals, and uh, more than six hours at Queen Elizabeth, Prince of Wales, and Toon Moon Hospitals. Um, what do you think of the situation? Would you say this is uh, the start of a, a, a twindemic? That's uh, some medical experts had uh, warned us about earlier? No, I, I don't think we're having a twindemic. I think this is something that's entirely predictable. And unfortunately, there's maybe not enough resources allocated or not enough strengthening of the healthcare system or maybe a weakening of the healthcare system in the, in the last few years. And I, I think it's something which could have been foreseen. And it, it, it's not new. It happens in, in other years. But if we're ready for it, the impact will, will not be as great as, as if we're well prepared for it. Right. And earlier you mentioned that we've entered the winter flu surge. When do you expect the peak to be? Oh, I don't think it's influenza. There's very little influenza circulating in, in, in Hong Kong at the moment. In terms of coughs and colds, they, they tend to circulate throughout the winter whenever it's a little bit colder for various reasons. <clears throat> and so I, I'm sure that... The, the, the people will still be getting coughs and colds over the next month or two uh, as the weather warms up again, that the incidence of these things tends to come down. So turning our attention over to, to the UK right now, it does strike me that there seems to be uh, essentially a combination of upper respiratory tract infections, the influenza and also COVID in circulation in the UK. Um, Professor Cowling, would you say there's a difference and what are the similarities and differences between uh, the, the, the situation in the UK versus the situation in Hong Kong right now? Yes, it's a little bit different in the UK because they have relaxed all their measures. And so during the pandemic period, so that's the, the previous two winters, they had relatively fewer coughs and colds and very little influenza virus infections. That's a, a special type of cough and cold. Sorry. But in, um, in Hong Kong, we still have a lot of these measures in place. And so that won't happen to us until perhaps next winter. 
we're putting it off essentially now. And when that does happen, instead of things uh, being put off by, by two years and there being a relatively big surge, they'd be put off by three years and there'd be an even larger surge. And if we put it off again next year, then there'll be an even bigger surge again after the, the four years, if you see what I mean. Because every, every year that you, we hold off flu and, and some other viral infection, the susceptibility to those viruses unfortunately increases in the population and then they, they pose a greater risk. So would you say that the case for um, maintaining the restrictions that are currently in place in Hong Kong uh, is probably strengthened or weakened by the observations you made just then? Would you say that in order to avoid the overburdening of the system you know, as we, as we reopen gradually, there is indeed a case, in fact, of maintaining some of these restrictions to prevent uh, potential you know, the double whammy and twin peaking of Well, I, I think if you follow your argument to its conclusion, then, then that would be an argument for permanently requiring face masks, permanently requiring some other measures, um, because at any time when, when you decide to relax them, that's when, that's when the viruses will come back. I don't agree with that. I would actually say there's no rationale right now in public health terms for the COVID measures to deal with COVID. And so I, I think those can be relaxed. If or when flu comes back, if or when we have a winter surge, we need to be ready for it. We need to make sure we have resources to prepare for that. And if there's a large flu season, we know how to mitigate it with measures brought back or, or put in place for, for maybe two weeks or maybe a month. If you remember in Hong Kong, we've done school closures for influenza in, 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 in past years. I think in 2018 we did it. I think in 2019 we did it. And certainly uh, the, the decade before we did it a few times as well. So I think we know how to mitigate those epidemics, but I don't see that there's a good argument for just putting them off indefinitely with retention of a lot of disruptive measures that uh, I, I don't think are needed for the purpose they're purportedly there for, that's for COVID. And uh, with the uh, long hospital wait uh, we talked about earlier, the hospital authority has uh, appealed to people with less severe symptoms to uh, visit outpatients, uh, public clinics or, or family doctors instead. Um, is that a good move and uh, what, uh, what else can, can be done? Well, I think that, that's very reasonable advice. Um, but remember that the, 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 there's an issue with the public versus the private system where public outpatient care that's sometimes a little bit cheaper, that there's not so many appointments available on the day. Uh, in the past, a lot of people have chosen to go to uh, the accident and emergency, the emergency rooms to seek uh, urgent care rather than going to, to private doctors. Um, I, I don't know the solution to that, but I know the government is working on a plan to have a, a better primary care system and hopefully that will, will bear fruit within the next few years and that may address some of this. But I think a winter surge is very predictable and it's something that can be anticipated every winter. All right, and I have an email here from Alonso and uh, he, he wants to know, he says, I'm curious what uh, um, Professor Cowling believes are the true COVID numbers in China, I guess he's talking about COVID and the risk this poses to Hong Kong if we uh, reopen the border. Um, he says uh, comments earlier from Tam Yu Chung have raised hope, but st hope that uh, this might happen soon. But given the recent surge in China COVID cases, which almost everyone agrees is on a scale which is comprehensively higher than reported by the government, is this really the right time to reopen the borders and risk an uncontrollable jump 
in imported COVID cases, not to mention a potential new strain. Um, it might be wise, he goes on, to, to delay any relaxation in cross-border controls. And uh, that uh, email is from Alonso. Professor Cowling? Yeah, I think there's a, f- a few different issues to unpack. Firstly, in terms of the possibility of a new strain emerging in China. I mean, that, that's a possibility. I hope it won't happen. There's a possibility of new strains emerging elsewhere in the world as well. Border controls do not stop new strains Uh, in this case, from coming from from mainland China into Hong Kong. Even if we have very stringent restrictions on travelers from uh, the the, the north down to here, uh, it will not stop such a new strain from coming in. It will delay it by a few days or a week. It will not stop it. So I don't think there's a rationale for that. In terms of whether the, the, the strains that are circulating in mainland China could cause transmission here, if they can do that, they will already be doing that. What we can see in Hong Kong is there's actually a high degree of immunity, even against the latest Omicron subvariant. There are infections every day. There's a lot of confirmed cases because we're doing a lot of testing. But there's, there's not so much severe disease at the moment. And I, I don't think in some sense that, that whatever happens in, in mainland China will not cause a large spike in infection among the population of Hong Kong. The third thing, though, is that if there's a lot of people in mainland China who are Hong Kong residents who get COVID and come over the the, the, border, the boundary to Hong Kong to seek medical care, that will put additional pressure on our clinics and our hospitals during our winter surge. But those people are Hong Kong residents. They're the ones that I'm talking about in this scenario. And so in some sense, they are. I think they are entitled to come here for medical care. I don't think there's a way to stop them from coming here for medical care. Uh, the issue at the moment is that they'd, they'd have problems when they try to go back into mainland China because of the the restrictions currently in place today. But if those were lifted, then obviously it would be easier. As for tourists, uh, I think we can be a little bit more careful. But my understanding is that in in mainland China, the permits or or, or the the, the paperwork needed for for tourists to come into Hong Kong are not currently being issued anyway. So at present, that's a moot point. Thank you, Professor. Now, just going back to the point you're making just then about the, the mindset where there does seem to be this general um, trend, at least in certain parts of public discourse, to, to be more resistant towards uh, expedited or full reopening, where they often cite the number of cases or the statistics or the potential for resurgence. Um, how can we tackle this sort of scepticism towards reopening? What, what needs to be done to, uh, uh, I guess, overcome this mindset block that renders reopening? Opening, perhaps uh, deemed as something that's unpalatable by these voices. How can you? How can well, we persuade? I think them? we could just talk about the, the issues that, that that relate to opening the border and and for the issue of strains crossing the boundary in either direction. We know that travel measures do not stop those. Uh, that that's been very clear for many many years. Of course, travel restrictions have been used when we were using stringent measures for all arrivals into Hong Kong with. Uh, quarantines on arrival and a lot of testing, that's a different matter. But now that we're open to the rest of the world, it makes no sense to have stringent restrictions for people coming from mainland China because whatever strains are circulating there can just come around indirectly anyway. So that, I think, is a non-issue, although it's often cited as an issue, if not an issue. The other issues that I mentioned just a moment ago about uh, people from the north coming to, to, to here to seek care, I think that is an issue. Uh, that we have to think about and prepare for. In Hong Kong, as, as an entrepreneurial society, 
maybe there's a business opportunity. And I would say also, maybe there's a way we can help because in, in mainland China, there's going to be an enormous amount of healthcare demand in the, in the coming weeks. Already, there's actually an enormous healthcare demand. Um, I, I would imagine they would welcome support from Hong Kong in terms of resources and staff. We're thinly stretched at the moment as well with our own winter surge. But if there's some way that we can help, I think that would certainly save lives in mainland China. That's very fair. And just to close off the discussion, then, what are these, what are these some, some of the concrete measures that can be undertaken to support our mainland counterparts? You'd say that perhaps those in the audience today could also keep an eye out for over the coming weeks. What can we do? Well, I think, so, I, I think that there's a great need uh, in, in mainland China for healthcare workers, including volunteers. There's a need for resources, I'm sure, in terms of oxygen supplies, ventilators, other medical equipment. There's a need for antiviral drugs. I don't know how much we have. I don't know how much they have in, in the mainland. But I, 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 would get, I would hazard a guess that, that we have plenty of antivirals which could be saving lives right now if, if shared with, with uh, hospitals in mainland China. So those kind of things. In mainland China, remember that they're having a very sharp spike in infections. The case numbers do not reflect their infections. Uh, I think they have fewer confirmed cases in the entire mainland China than, than we do in Hong Kong on a daily basis. But there's an enormous number of infections, possibly up to, well, certainly hundreds of millions of infections within this winter, within a space of one to two months. Uh, some cities, their epidemics may already have peaked. There's some indication that Beijing's epidemic might have peaked. Uh, so there's an enormous number of infections occurring, and it's, it's really a, a major problem this winter. It's not going to be an ongoing problem that the numbers of infections are going to come down uh, by February. All right, Professor Cowling, I'm afraid uh, we're out of time. Thanks again for joining us this morning and I uh, hope you have a Merry Christmas. That's uh, epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and of course to our guest presenter Brian Wong and producer Yuki. And our back chat will be back next Wednesday with a special look back at some of our highlights from the past year that we are calling the best of back chat and it will run until next Friday. Now here's the weather. Fine and very dry. The top temperature will be around 19 degrees. Winds moderate northeasterlies, occasionally fresh. And the red fire danger warning is currently in force. Right now, it's 16 degrees, relative humidity 39%. The spirit of the 20th National Congress is vital to the development of our country and Hong Kong and to our nation's rejuvenation. We must embrace its spirit and profoundly understand the great changes and achievements of the new.